Hello, welcome to the Inner Stoa podcast. Today I'll be doing the first episode of a, of a line of episodes called uh, Stoic Saturdays, where I share some of the uh, readings that I do uh, weekly and mostly daily uh, of Stoic textbooks. In the case of today, it's going to be the most famous, which is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And I will read one passage and give a brief intro into uh, how I view Stoicism in my life and how I believe it may help others. Another book that I'll be doing um, periodically as well is called Letters to Lucilius or The Moral Letters of Seneca by Seneca. He is also one of the other main Stoic philosophers, with the third being Epictetus. However, I don't tend to read much Epictetus. I find it a little bit more on the religious side, and I don't find it as accessible uh, and practical to my life. I've found both Marcus Aurelius's Meditations and Seneca's Moral Letters to Lucilius most helpful in my life. The edition that I read of the Meditations, there is quite a few, and I do find there is a difference between each edition, uh, drastic enough that I'd recommend this one. This one is by Modern Library Meditations, Marcus Aurelius. It has a red crow. As usual, I will leave a link in the description to where you can find it on Amazon. That way you guys can read the same book that I'm reading and follow along. So I'll start with book two. Um, the way this is maybe, I guess, a brief history on the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. So Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor uh, from his adopted father. He inherited the throne, and he was one of the rare philosopher kings in history, uh, the only philosopher emperor, uh, per se. One of the interesting things as well is that he wrote in Greek, despite being obviously uh, a Roman, which the uh, common language and, and written language at the time was Latin. So for it to be in Greek was was also rare. Marcus Aurelius, uh, does it say on here? Yeah, he lived, roughly speaking, we don't know the exact dates, um, but from 121 to 180 AD. So the book is, you know, 1900 years old or so. And the, the, each, each of these passages uh, were written at different times during his life, and we're not exactly clear exact, like where each of them were written or uh, what time. There's been a lot of thought in the area that it's been written at night and they were done as sort of a journaling. Although the interesting thing about meditations is that, unlike this podcast, it was mainly for himself and only for himself, he actually had no intention of publishing this, and it's not actually a published book by him, per se. It's more or less someone had found these and, and has later published it. So I'll give you kind of a taste. This is potentially the most relevant to my life, or at least it's the passage that I read most consistently. Uh, I have many copies of meditations lying around my life, uh, not only in my car, but also in my home in multiple spots. I own multiple editions. I'm always ready to gift this book. Uh, this would be the most gifted book that I have. And this is the most recommended passage that I have. And so I thought it was fitting to start with this packet passage and 
give a brief intro of how I use Stoicism in my life. So this is in book two, and it's the first paragraph. When you wake up in the morning, tell yourself, the people I deal with today will be meddling, ungrateful, arrogant, dishonest, jealous, and surely. They're like this because they can't tell good from evil. But I have seen the beauty of good and the ugliness of evil, and have recognized that the wrongdoer has a nature related to my own, not of the same blood or birth, but the same mind, and possessing a share of the divine. And so none of them can hurt me. No one can implicate me in ugliness, nor can I feel angry at my relative or hate him. We were born to work together like feet, hands, and eyes, like the two rows of teeth, upper and lower. To obstruct each other is unnatural. To feel anger at someone, to turn your back on him, these are obstructions. I find that passage very profound and... I'd like to share a couple of stories, even just in the last couple of days, that I that I feel relate directly to this, and it will give you a good taste of how I think this applies to not only my life but also your life. And take in mind, one not need to search very far to find examples like these in your life. I'm sure that if you thought, you know, within the last 24 hours and reflected, you would find these exact same situations because. It, they are just that. They are very similar. And the ability to apply this meditation to your life uh, is very, well, it's easily to apply. So one example would be the other day I was to meet with uh, one, of the, one of my clients. And we had just finished a relatively large project for them. And I was just there to collect the final payment and make sure that everything was good on their end and they were happy with the work that my employees had done. It seemed to be a relatively straightforward event. We were supposed to meet at their rental unit uh, that, that my uh, painters had painted. And I was to collect the final payment, uh, have them sign you know, just all the documents that you would normally sign when there's a contract, and leave. So I show up at uh, the 9 a.m., which was the set time, and they're on time and I'm on time. Actually, we were about five to seven minutes early, so that's good. And uh, the interaction essentially started with them saying, oh, we're so happy that you're here early because you're the only one with a key. So I guess there's a bit of backstory here. They had given me a key to the rental unit because they lived in a, an adjacent city and this key was gonna allow us access to the unit while they were gone. However, I didn't happen to have this key. Um, one of my managers did and Despite me of, you know, thinking it was okay that I'd, I'd give it to them later in the day when I met with my manager, obviously could have been a bit more organized here, for sure. Uh, either way, this information was not pleasant to their ears, of course. However, the way they handled it is the part that is most relevant to the passage I just read you. So these are to be expected, events not going the way you want them to, or, you know, some people say Murphy's Law, sure, you can say that. There's just a statistical probability at any given moment that's, I mean, it's a very high probability, actually, if you really think about it, that things aren't going to go your way. So already 
this morning, and I'm sure that there's already things previous to them showing up that also had maybe not gone their way. So I will, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll give them the good faith that the morning had maybe started off rougher than it maybe seemed. Either way, she responded to me not having the key, with which I thought was quite hilarious, but shut the front door. Essentially, not very happy. How are we going to solve this problem? You know, there's no way of us getting into the house. So instantly, I, there's a big difference between the two ways that, that both of us responded. My initial reaction was, okay, so we need to figure out a way of getting into this house. So I'm instantly throwing solutions. I'm saying, well, at the bottom door, was there not a uh, box with uh, for the key with the uh, real estate agent? There is. However, they don't have the code. Okay, can we call the real estate agent? We've tried calling the real estate agent. Okay, let's call one more time. At this point, they're physically uh, very distressed and you can just tell that they're very, well, stressed out, but they just can't seem to handle this, what I would consider at least an extremely minor setback. And, you know, I called my manager and he would, he would be there in about 15 minutes. So already in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so there's no need to have any sort of um, indulgence in the emotional response that may arise to this situation because, well, you, you're you on a 15-minute timer where essentially at the end of the 15 minutes, no longer will any of the problems that we're discussing right now exist. Despite that, during those 15 minutes, now, of course, there's no way you're going to explain this to someone uh, in person. You could maybe do it over a podcast. So hopefully these clients maybe listen to this podcast. Um Actually, maybe they don't. Maybe I hope they don't. But either way, um, during these 15 minutes, these clients had decided to in completely indulge in their emotional response that arised and uh, keep calling these uh, the real estate agents. They're freaking out. Also, I guess another side note is that there was a carpet cleaner that was supposed to show up um, about somewhere between 9 and 10 and they were also extremely stressed that he may show up before the key gets here and now that person may wait. This had not actually happened yet which is another thing that's worth mentioning. Um, as I go through the meditations uh, like of Marcus Aurelius, this you'll, you'll see a common theme here that the future does not exist in the sense that as much as these people are stressing or being worried about the inevitable, and I know maybe I'm making this more dramatic than it is, but these small situations like this really take a toll on you. The, these people um, were very stressed and, and indulging in all the emotional responses to a simple event of this person may arrive before this person. Well, because the, the arrival times were so close uh, together, you would think that, well, the problem will only maybe exist for potentially one minute, maybe five minutes, who knows. Sure enough, the carpet cleaner arrives before my guy does. And so I explained to the carpet cleaner, here's the situation, you might have to wait a couple minutes here. He says, okay, these people are now flustered because I'm not sure exactly, I wish that I was able to maybe be in their head, but it was definitely interesting to see from that outside perspective of just watching them uh, interact with their lives this way. Either way, my manager shows up with the key, gives us the key. We go inside. I collect the final payment. The guy cleans the carpet. I leave, and that was it. <clears throat> the total duration of this event was potentially 20 minutes, but closer to probably 15 minutes. Maybe 50, yeah, 15 to 20 minutes. 
during this entire time, there was no need to actually be stressed out. There was clear solutions to what they were feeling emotionally. And those solutions were on a timer essentially of 15 to 20 minutes. And none of that needed to be indulged. So that's one example of, of, of this, is that you will interact with people and interact with situations each day that are not the way you want them to be. And you'll meet people that are ungrateful and you will meet people. So on the flip side, I could have allowed these people, um, their situation, and I could have indulged in it as well. I could have seen this as a situation to also become stressed and also indulge in the emotional response because on my end, it's not fun to now deal with people who are very high stress. So, worth mentioning. Now, you can also imagine, I, I kind of forgot what other example I was going to use, but I but there's there's very many cliche ones. Again, because, because it's so pliable, there's so many situations that arise on a daily basis, weekly basis. I mean, in this case, essentially daily, because you will interact with someone each day in, in Marcus Aurelius' case, he uses kind of fancy words, ungrateful, uh, meddling. You're going to meet assholes each day. You will meet people who are unpleasant to deal with and not fun. And it says, um, if I bring up the passage again, essentially something along the lines of, there's no need to be mad. There's Most of these situations um, will not persist. But what does he say here? And so none of them can hurt me. No one can implicate me in ugliness, nor can I feel angry at my relative or hate him. I'm going to read that one more time because there's a couple things here. I'm going to read it slower. And so none of them can hurt me. This is something that if you haven't studied Stoicism may not necessarily click right away. There is some cliche sayings in society that people use, such as um, sticks and bones may hurt me, but your words cannot, or something like that. Uh, it's horrible that I just messed up the quote, but either way, something like that, but your words cannot hurt me. That is sort of a stoic saying. Um, it's, uh, someone cannot actually make you feel a certain way and indulge in it. They could potentially, actually, that's not true. They could potentially make you feel a certain way, but they can't make you indulge in it. Someone could actively do things that, that are known to potentially have a stressful arise in humans, but that doesn't mean that you have to actually indulge in it. And for one, definitely you don't have to externalize that. You can keep it internal. You can be stoic about it. And there's also a key distinction I'd like to make just because I'm not sure how many people listen to this podcast will really have a lot of knowledge of stoicism and I want to maybe just take care of some of the misconceptions. Stoicism is not the elimination of emotions. It's simply acknowledging, I actually think it's more of the opposite, but hence, I mean, ironically because of the name, but either way, it's not the elimination of emotions. It's merely accepting them in the present moment when they arise and realizing that they are not what you may think, or what you, they're not what you think they are. Like in this case, another line that he says here is, and no one can implicate me in ugliness, 
nor can I feel angry at my relative or hate him. Let's say your friend cuts you off. Well, not even a friend. Let's say someone cuts you off in traffic. This is a very common example, and you'll hear me say this example many times. And I love this example because it happens to every single one of us that drives, which should also give you some indication of more of a reason why you shouldn't actually indulge in it because it is a common event. It's about as common as washing your clothes. You probably wash your clothes, at least if you live with a nurse girlfriend like I do, probably once or twice every couple days, um, you know, at least every two days, which is probably the same um, event as, so washing your clothing, at least to me, my girlfriend doesn't seem to think so, but I seem to think, well, I definitely think it's an inconvenience. Hence why I get my girlfriend to do it for me. But I think it's very inconvenience. The same way that someone cutting me off in traffic is an inconvenience. Yet my emotional response to both these events are, well, they're both, at this point, they're both the same. But if you had talked to me about five years ago before I started practicing stoicism, my emotional response to both would be quite similar. Frustration, this is horrible, life is unfair, something along those lines. Where he says, nor can I feel angry at my relative or hate him. I'm not sure if I necessarily directly agree with that, but I but I do think that there's a little bit of inference that you can do. Um, take in mind he was writing to himself, so not everything's meant to be crystal clear. Um, I think this is something more along the lines of try and stay angry. It's actually more difficult than you think. When someone cuts you on traffic, cuts you off in traffic, and I like this example again because it will probably happen to you within the next couple of days. So when it does in the next couple of days while you're driving, someone cuts you off, try and sit in that angry or that, that anger, and see how long you can stay angry. Don't try and think of more situations as to why you should be angry, but just simply sit in there and just breathe and think about the anger. Uh, the anger. See how long it lasts. Two seconds? 15 seconds? Five minutes? 10 minutes? How long do you think it would last? You'll be shocked to realize that most likely within 10 seconds, you will not be angry anymore because it does not persist. Emotions do not carry on unless you indulge in them. And so this is one of the key points of stoicism is that it's your indulgence and your impressions on the world that are causing them to be the way they are. Someone cutting you off in traffic does not make, it may uh, have an emotional uh, rise in you, but it does not make you indulge in that angry, or I keep saying angry, that's hilarious, um, in that anger. So this is a key moment. I'll keep reading a little bit. To feel anger at someone, to turn your back on him, these are obstructions. I also love this point because they are just that, obstructions. What is your goal to when you get into a vehicle? And I'll stick with this analogy. Your goal is to, let's say tonight, for example, I'll be going to a UFC event with my girlfriend. So at some point in time, I'll have to hop in my vehicle and I'll have to drive to said event. That's the goal is to get there. Uh, well, there's, there's some underlying goals. One of them of which would be to get there safely and also to get there without any sort of accident so safe yeah that'd be more of the safety side but i also don't want to get a ticket things like that maybe have a good conversation with my girlfriend 
good conversation with a girlfriend is actually a good example uh, with this. At no point in there, if I get cut off, is it beneficial for me to feel angry? Because now that I'm indulging in my anger, I'll most likely drive slightly faster, which I think if you if you now, now that I've been mentioning this, going really hard into this uh, example, the next time you see someone get cut off, you will find that they probably will drive a little faster and they will tailgate, both of which put you at a significantly higher risk statistically of getting into a car accident. So now already you're working against yourself. Now, because you're angry, the conversation you would want to have with your girlfriend will probably not be of the same quality of when you were not angry. On top of it, if you were to get pulled over, you might be able to talk yourself out of a ticket, but now that you're angry, fuck this cop, why are you pulling me over? That might be a response. These are obstructions. You can allow the event of cutting off, by the time that you actually have an emotional response, that event is already over. The act of being cut off is not a 15-minute project or a 15-minute event. It's probably about one second. And then you're back actually behind another car, which is most likely what you were previously doing. You were probably behind a car, a car cut in front of you. Okay, that's one second. Now you're behind another car. You're driving down the road again. And so you can move back to your goal of getting to the location safely. You can move back to having a good conversation with your girlfriend. Those are the clear goals. Keep those in mind. And keep those in mind when having conversations with difficult people each day. Maybe like a good example would be six years ago, believe it or not, I used to work the night shift at Wendy's. And the type of people who go to Wendy's at midnight are not exactly cream of the crop people. And they don't exactly, I mean, hence, well, maybe that's a bit harsh. Either way, we would get angry customers. And the goal for me as a Wendy's employee was to serve the food to them in such a way that they are happy with what they've ordered because it's what they ordered. It's made to the way they wanted it to. Most of these restaurants are very uh, structured, very systemized. The food you get is very consistent each time. When they say, I want a, in this case, a Baconator, they get the same Baconator every time. However, when dealing with humans, of course, there's going to be a statistical probability that something will be messed up. And when you're also dealing with potentially the lowest skilled labor possible, which is high school students working a minimum wage job, and you're also, it's midnight and you've been working for eight hours, it's basically a crockpot for mistakes to be made. And you could view it that way, or you could view it as how dare they make mistakes. And this is potentially what was going through the minds of a lot of these customers, is they would be extremely upset that their Baconator only had two pieces of bacon rather than three, or the pop they had ordered was too watery, they would like a new one, despite potentially drinking most of it. But either way, I won't comment much on that. My response at the time was like something along the lines of, fuck these people, these people are assholes, who fucking cares, it's Wendy's. Not a very good response. And this translated into when I started my business, which was a year after working at Wendy's, or well, I'd worked at Wendy's for a year and then had then started my business. And the 
difficulty that arised in running my business without having the capability, well, that's not true. I had the capability. Without having the mindset uh, coherent enough that I would actually not indulge in these emotions while dealing with customers, well, to put it simply, it sucked. Because when a difficulty would arise, I would try and smooth talk my way out of it. I would try and, well, essentially I would lose complete sight of the goal. The goal when dealing with a customer should be something along the lines of, let's try and make this customer happy such that they pay us, but also that they're genuinely happy with the service so that they might review you positively so you can get more work, something along the lines of that. Depends on the ethics of how you run your business, but I think those are reasonable goals to have. I don't know if the goal should be to just smooth talk them so that they pay you but not happy. You should maybe try and get both, kill two birds with one stone. But either way, dealing with these customers, let's say a customer would come up to me and say, John, this section of this house does not look very good. I'm not pleased with this. Rather than saying to myself, okay, this person is clearly unhappy with this, they're probably a reasonable person because they're coming to me in a pretty reasonable fashion. Instead, my response would be, fuck this person. This person's picky. You know, how dare they comment on our work? I will convince them that they are wrong and that they are actually happy with the work and that they should be happy with the work. And there's no way that we could make mistakes. As you can imagine, the customer's response was, you're right, John. I am wrong. Everything you said is right. I am completely wrong. I have no justification to point these things out to you, nor are they actually mistakes. You're a god. Thank you. Here's actually a tip. Believe it or not, that was not the response. Their response, for the most part, was something along the lines of, John, can you please just address the situation? We don't want to argue about this anymore. We just want a solution. Can we do that? And it took me years to actually get to the point where, and I feel that I'm potentially potentially fully there, where now when a, a, a situation arises, it no longer is an obstruction to me. And the reason why is because I no longer feel that anger towards the customer or I no longer indulge in the emotional response that arises. Maybe it's not always anger but maybe it's stress or uh, disappointment, whatever the case. By non-indulging, which is what I'm in control of, in the emotional response that arises from when the customer, in this case, points something out that needs to be fixed, it's no longer an obstruction. It's now actually something that I can benefit from. It's something that I can show the customer that I'm on their side and that I am a good contractor by being the person who listens to them and responds in such a way that their problems are solved because that's what I do for a living is I meet people, I convince them that they, well, I don't convince them that they have problems. Mainly, well, sometimes I do. For the most part, most of the people that I deal with are understanding that they have a problem that needs to be fixed. Sometimes I need to convince them. Most people don't need convincing though that their house needs painting. And I convince them that I'm the man they need to hire such that their house will be painted and done properly and their problems will go away. I'm fixing their problems. 
and well yeah that's it i think i'm gonna stop it there i think i will basically just be repeating myself more than i may have already that's an introductory podcast to the meditations of marcus aurelius as you can imagine i just did close to a 30 minute podcast on one paragraph so this book may take us a while to get through i will be releasing a 15 to 30 minute podcast although i thought this would be more of one of the 15 minute ones so it's seeming like this might be a more of a 30 to 45 minute podcast uh, each weekend just giving um stoic lessons so i hope that you guys are able to take something from this podcast and i hope that so at some point today that you get cut off and that you're able to practice stoicism in your life and and take in mind that just like anything else this does not come to you right away it takes practice it has taken me years of reading meditations, Seneca. I did read a bit more Epictetus when I first started out. It's taken me years of studying. Quite literally hundreds of hours of practicing just in theory-based stuff. So essentially just reading, um, meditating. Years to get to the point where I'm at least decent. Like maybe like 1% stoic. So be patient with it. It will come. And I hope that you got something out of this podcast. And I look forward to doing my next book analysis. The next book I will be doing is Machiavelli, uh, Nic- Nikolai Machiavelli, The Prince, which is one of my all-time favorite books. It'll be interesting to see your guys' perspective on uh, on the book going into it and your perspective on the book going out of it. As most people, I feel like, have a misunderstanding of uh, Machiavelli. Uh, because there's a term in society called Machiavellianism or Machiavellian people. And I don't quite know if that fits who Nikolai Machiavelli truly was. So I'm looking forward to it. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you soon.